This is Coast to Coast with Robert Ambrogi and Jay Craig Williams, America's top web bloggers in the legal profession. And yes, they are attorneys, both of them, one from California, one from Massachusetts. You can only guess what will happen next. Coast to Coast is sponsored by Law.com, right here on the Legal Talk Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Coast to Coast on the Legal Talk Network. I am Bob Ambrogi in Massachusetts. And I'm Craig Williams in Southern California. I write a blog called May It Please the Court. And I write a blog called Law Sites and also a blog called Media Law. And another blog, Bob. And, an, <laughs> and a blog. Uh, I contribute to Legal Blog Watch on Law.com. Well, Craig, it's no secret that economies uh, throughout Asia are booming. Countries such as China, Japan, South Korea, Vietnam, and India are experiencing dramatic growth. And American companies are helping to fuel this incredible economic expansion by moving production and jobs to Asia. And lawyers, of course, have taken notice. Asia is expected to be a huge market for legal services with in-house legal counsel positions leading the pack. The biggest and best example of this is the Chinese economy. It's growing at a rate of 10% per year. The American lawyer reports that 39 out of the 250 largest legal firms in the U.S. already have offices in Shanghai, Beijing, or Hong Kong. So is Asia the next frontier for American lawyers? That's the question we'll be looking at in today's Coast to Coast. And we're going to start by talking to uh, one of our an expert in this topic, uh, Michael Shimakaji. Mr. Shimakaji is a shareholder in the law firm of Shimakaji & Associates in Irvine, California. His firm is engaged in intellectual property litigation and the procurement of patent and trademark rights domestically and abroad. Over the past six years, Mr. Shimakaji has been a member of the steering committee for the California Minority Council Program and a founding director of the Orange County Japanese American Lawyers Association. And he serves as an instructor in the paralegal program at the University of California at Irvine. Welcome to the show, Michael. Thanks, Bob. Well, Michael, as we get started here... What kind of advice do you want to give to American lawyers looking at opening a practice up in Asia? Wow, that's a that's a, a tough question. But um, I think you know one of the um, one of the primary concerns is that um, or challenges for American lawyers uh, starting to do work in Asia is. Uh, having some already existing relationships uh, with companies there. Um, what that sometimes means is that for an American lawyer to uh, go to Asia and start doing work is that they might need to have some relationships with lawyers already in Asia uh, who are already doing business there. Uh, there can be some cultural uh, reluctance or pushback by Asian companies to uh, simply accept uh, an American lawyer uh, just, if you will, walking into Asia and expecting to do business uh, with Asian companies. Well, are the opportunities for lawyers, uh, U.S.-based lawyers, uh, for uh, representing U.S.-based companies in Asian transactions or Asian matters, or are the opportunities for representing overseas companies in, in uh, their dealings with uh, government agencies and businesses here in the United States? Well, um, I really think uh, it's both. Um, and maybe to kind of uh, give you some perspective from my personal view, uh, you know, my practice is in the intellectual property area, 
uh, meaning patents, trademarks, and copyrights. And, uh, for example, there is an organization called the World Intellectual Property Organization, and they manage uh, patent filings uh, throughout the world. And uh, they reported uh, in 2006 that for patent filings in 2005, uh, most of the growth in that area came from Asian companies, namely Japan, South Korea, and China. Uh, I believe they indicated that uh, China had the uh, greatest increase uh, between 2004 and 2005. So I think what that means uh, from for lawyers is that certainly uh, there are a lot of Asian companies uh, looking to do a business, expand their business outside of Asia and into the U.S., uh, likewise, uh, there's a lot of business opportunities for lawyers to represent U.S. companies uh, trying to do business uh, in the Far East. Michael, I see on your website that you actually represent a number of uh, companies that have some Asian connections. What do Asian firms or companies look for in an American lawyer? Uh, you know, I think one thing is that uh, they're looking for lawyers that have some cultural uh, similarities. Um, in effect, uh, lawyers that understand the Asian culture um, and kind of work, can easily work within the Asian culture. Uh, the other is that they're really looking for uh, attorneys that have a significant experience in the U.S., uh, namely uh, being able to work with, for example, Asian companies trying to do business in the U.S., um, that is a big market for Asian companies. Uh, likewise, uh, it's a big market for U.S. companies to try to do business in Asia. So lawyers being able to or having experience in working with Asian companies doing business here in the U.S., and U.S. companies trying to do business in Asia uh, is a big plus for uh, lawyers. How important is it, uh, if at all, for a U.S.-based law firm to, to create alliances with, with overseas firms uh, in particular locations? Uh, extremely important. Uh, you know, again, I think uh, for U.S. lawyers to just try to go to Asia and uh, do business there is very difficult without having relationships uh, with, for example, uh, Chinese lawyers and law firms. Uh, our particular firm has a number of relationships uh, with various firms throughout Asia that enable us to uh, work with uh, either companies in Asia or companies here in the U.S. I mean, I would think within the field of intellectual property in particular, uh, where, you're, where, where a client may be seeking to obtain uh, patent protection or, or intellectual property protection in, in a number of jurisdictions, uh, to some extent you're, you'd probably be, be, be almost a, a manager more than a lawyer in, in this situation. 
Well, you're, you are correct. Sometimes that is the case. Uh, oftentimes the role we serve uh, is in an oversight or managerial situation. Um, for example, a client here in the U.S. may want to seek patent protection in a number of countries, including Asia, and it really is uh, impossible for a lawyer to have a good familiarity with uh, the laws, the patent laws, for example, in all these different countries. So uh, being able to uh, have relationships with firms in other countries, being able to work with them um, and in, uh, in these patent areas is very valuable for U.S. companies. What type of, you mentioned that there were some style of cultural issues, and I would imagine there's probably some ethical and professional, maybe even political challenges that these uh, lawyers face trying to deal with foreign jurisdictions. Do you want to talk about that for a bit? Sure. Um, you know, most of the Asian countries and the, the businesses there, um, they're able to speak English quite well. So language really isn't uh, a challenge for U.S. lawyers. It really does tend to be cultural in the sense that um, Chinese companies have a distinct way of doing business, uh, which is different, for example, from the way Japanese companies uh, tend to do business. Um, just as a general example, um, both Chinese and Japanese companies tend to do business and establish relationships over a long period of time. Uh, Japanese companies um, tend to work uh, by consensus building, and that tends to lengthen the time that it takes to do business uh, with them. Uh, Chinese companies uh, can tend to be more direct, if you will, in their business relationships uh, as compared to Japanese companies. Um, when I talk about uh, direct uh, relationships or doing business more directly, uh, Japanese companies might uh, negotiate uh, in a somewhat indirect fashion, meaning that they don't want to ask questions in a very direct fashion, but try to do so indirectly. Well, these are, these are cultural issues you raise. What about uh, politics? Uh, does that play a role? Is it important uh, for a lawyer who's working overseas to understand the politics of the country in which, the, uh, in which they're working? Uh, very much so. Uh, for example, in China... Uh, doing business there requires a good knowledge of the local politics, uh, having relationships uh, with the local political offices. And one way of achieving that is, for example, through the types of relationships our law firm has with existing law firms in Asia. How do you go about establishing those relationships? Uh, oftentimes, it uh, is done through referrals, uh, meaning that um, we have uh, uh, clients who have uh, 
sometimes uh, worked with uh, different law firms in Asia, and uh, we get referrals from them. Uh, we might also look to other law firms here in the U.S. Uh, to receive referrals from uh, them to establish relationships with uh, other law firms abroad. And then it becomes somewhat of a trial and error uh, period during which you know both our law firm and that foreign-based law firm work for a period of time to see if we're a fit for one another. You, you mentioned some intellectual property issues, and that's an area where you practice. What other areas of law do you see booming as times move forward for the relationship between Asian Pacific Rim companies and American lawyers? Uh, I, I, I see a lot of activity uh, in mergers and acquisitions. Uh, and again, I think that in part comes as a result of the need for U.S. companies to establish some type of partner or working relationship with uh, existing Asian companies uh, so that the U.S. company can uh, already have an existing foothold uh, in that foreign jurisdiction. Uh, certainly, financing seems to be uh, a major issue uh, in Asia. Well, Michael, we are just about at the end of this segment, so what we'd like to do is get some contact information from you so that our listeners can find you and get a hold of you if they need to uh, do some intellectual property work that has a relationship with maybe some Asian companies and even here in the United States. So how can they get a hold of you? Uh, well, uh, one way is certainly by phone. Uh, I'm at area code 949-788-9968. Again, that's 788-9968, and we're on the web at www.shimokaji.com. It's S-H-I-M-O-K-A-J-I. Great. Well, thank you, Michael. It's been a real pleasure to have you on Coast to Coast today. Thank you, Michael, very much. Thank you. In our next segment, we will speak with Jay Ponizeki from Morrison & Forster. We will get her perspective as a law firm practitioner who is in Asia. We'll be right back after this break. We invite you to visit Law.com for timely legal news and in-depth resources. From daily headlines to practice-specific updates, Law.com provides up-to-date information to those working in the legal profession. As part of its coverage, Law.com is proud that J. Craig Williams' blog, May It Please the Court, and Robert Ambrogi's blog, Law Sites, are part of its blog network. Don't wait any longer. Visit Law.com today and get free subscriptions of our Newswire newsletter with the top legal stories of the day. Or sign up for a free trial subscription to one of our Practice Center sections. If you found us in the podcast library of iTunes, thanks for listening. Check out some of our other shows at LegalTalkNetwork.com and become a member. It's free. Coast to Coast is produced by the Legal Talk Network and a staff of broadcast professionals. If you have an idea for a topic or a show, we want to hear from you. Go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and send us an email. If you have a comment or question, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message on the Legal Talk Network listener line at 781-634-8959. 
We really do listen to the messages and even answer your questions on our next show. A video settlement documentary can be the most powerful and persuasive way to bring about a speedy settlement in your client's case. The Boston Media Group has a staff of television professionals with 20 years' experience writing and producing compelling stories just like the ones you've seen on 60 Minutes or Dateline. We put a human face on the lawsuit with compelling interviews, dramatizations, and visual presentations of the fact. Think of it as a video opening argument that will compel the attorneys on the other side to settle. Call us for a consult at 800-317-5221. That's 800-317-5221. Or check out our website at bostonmediagroup.com. Welcome back to Coast to Coast. I'm Craig Williams. And this is Bob Ambrogi. We are talking about... uh Asia, the new frontier for American lawyers and law firms. We would like to introduce you to a very special guest who is joining us from Tokyo. Jay Ponizeki's practice focuses on the representation of pharmaceutical, medical, medical device, chemical, food, electronics, automotive, and other technology companies in a broad range of international business transactions for Morrison and Forrester in the Tokyo office. Ms. Ponizeki is a, currently the member of a member of the Board of Governors and the chair of the Privacy Task Force of the American Chamber of Commerce in Japan. She is also serving her fifth term as president of the Foreign Women Lawyers Association. Welcome to the show, Jay. Thank you. It's an honor to join you. We understand that it's late in the evening there and early in the morning for us here in California and a little mid-morning in... uh... Just about right for me here in Boston. Yeah. So we have a a wide spectrum of time frames, but we'd like to ask you... uh, how American lawyers are perceived in Asia, and just in general? Well, in general, and based on my experience, I think American lawyers are very well regarded in Asia. In many Asian countries, the academic and qualifying standards to become a lawyer are really very rigorous. So only a limited percentage of the population qualify to become lawyers. So lawyers generally are very highly regarded as professionals, and American lawyers by association are similarly well regarded. Jay, what, let's talk about your experience there. Uh, tell us a little bit about what your practice is and, and what kind of work you do in, in Tokyo. Well, I'm a transactional attorney, so I regularly work on all types of commercial transactions, including joint ventures and strategic alliances. And in recent years, with the increased number of inbound investments, I've been representing more and more clients in their tender offers in Japan and in their pursuit to fully exercise their rights as shareholders. Um, and day-to-day, it's, it's very interesting, and it's a great way to capture synergies of U.S. pragmatism and Japanese legal expertise to help clients realize their goals in Japan. Now, are your clients U.S. companies doing business in Japan or Japanese companies having alliances with U.S. companies or some mix, a mix of the two? It's a mix of both. Do you represent companies that are solely Japanese? I mean, in a Japanese transaction with a Japanese company in a Japanese situation. Our our office um, has Japanese lawyers, about 30 of them at this point, and some of them work on what we would call purely domestic transactions. And it's unusual for um, a foreign qualified lawyer, an American lawyer like myself, to work on a purely Japanese transaction, but we do have some 
um, associates who are fully bilingual, and they will from time to time get pulled in to assist on, on those matters as well. Now, do you speak Japanese? I speak some. I was an exchange student here in high school, so was able to learn a good amount of the language then, and I do use my Japanese day-to-day in, in work. Do you credit your exchange program in high school with the reason that you're in Japan now? I credit that program with my being interested in international relations, and I think it certainly opened doors in Japan, but I had to make the decision to walk through those doors. Um, I think it definitely resulted in my becoming an international lawyer. So tell us about your firm's office there. How many lawyers uh, does Morrison and Forrester have in Japan, uh, and in what other types of matters are they involved in? We now have over 80 lawyers in Japan, so we're the largest international law firm in Japan, I believe, at this point. Um, about 50 of those are non-Japanese lawyers, um, and many of them are bilingual, but having Japanese language ability isn't essential to have a, a good career here. And as I mentioned earlier, we have um, over 30 Japanese lawyers, and we have a practice that's in some respects very similar to what you would find in a U.S. law firm. We have a business department that's broken down into different practice groups from corporate finance to real estate to project finance, um, and we also have a litigation department with a very vibrant dispute resolution practice um, as well as uh, practice helping Japanese firms in their litigation in the U.S. In these days of uh, you know uh, international uh, telecommunication, of Internet connectivity, mm-hmm. why is it important for a, a firm to, to uh, be on the ground there, to have an office there? What's, what's the diff- what, what can you do that, that, that another firm couldn't do from the United States? Many um, clients, I think, in Japan and outside of Japan really want to have face-to-face meetings. And so for the same reason that manufacturers and software companies and other service providers come to the region to meet with their customers, it's important for lawyers to meet with their clients. Um, And often as an international lawyer, you're trying to explain different legal systems and different ways of doing business and different ways of coming up with solutions. And it's so much easier to do that in, in a conference room together with a whiteboard and to pick up in person when your client or the, the party on the other side um, is perhaps not understanding what you're trying to convey or is reacting to certain things that are being discussed that are really difficult to appreciate in electronic communications. How accepting is the Asian business culture of foreigners? I think today we're really looking at a global um, business culture, and in that scenario, foreign becomes less and less relevant. It's more everyone being part of the same business community and people trying to realize opportunity within that community. Do you think there's any foreigner stigma attached to being an American lawyer in Japan? In in all the time that I've been in Japan, I've never felt like I was bearing a foreigner stigma as an international business lawyer. In fact, I think it's a tremendous asset being a foreign lawyer in Japan. We bring a whole different toolbox to the table, and that can really help clients find solutions. So I think it's actually an asset. How, how much time is that? When, how long have you been in Japan? This time, almost nine years, and earlier in my career when I was a mid-level associate, I was loaned to one of the larger Japanese law firms. 
So in total, I'd been working maybe 11 years in Japan. So when you first came there after practicing in the United States, what struck you uh, about the practice of law? How, how, was it different? Was it the same? My probably near immediate reaction was that um, Japanese lawyers and Japanese clients make a pretty quick determination as to whether or not the legal professional they're working with is competent. And if you're competent, I think there are great opportunities and clients uh, will want to work with you and will want to team up with you to find solutions. Um, But if you don't come here with a core set of legal skills, if you're not a good, solid lawyer, it could be very difficult. Well, beyond the core set of legal skills that a lawyer needs to have, what type of cultural or uh, other accoutrements does a lawyer need to have in order to break into the market in, in Asia? Again, because... I think the world is getting more and more global. It's difficult to identify specifics um, at the most basic um, starting point. Understanding how to properly introduce oneself is, is important, how to exchange business cards, because um, that's your first point of entry, and first impressions matter. Um, it would also be helpful to understand how decisions are made within organizations so that you can understand what your client or the, your client's counterparty needs to do internally to get a deal done. Um, linguistic ability certainly helps, but it's not essential in, in all of the, the Asia countries. Um, and I think it's really important just to come with an open mind and to be a sponge in the moment you get off the plane and to absorb and take in, to listen. Um, I think some people want to lead the discussions and don't necessarily take in what's being said or pick up the the unspoken um, indicators that, that are around them. Jay, you're president of the uh, Foreign Women Lawyers Association. Uh, could you tell us about that association and, and, and sure, what sure. it does and what it's like? Um, it was, I was actually one of the founding members who helped establish the, the FWA 15 years ago, and its primary purpose then, which was in a pre-internet, pre-email era, which is hard to, to believe at this point in time, was just to see how many other foreign women lawyers were in Japan and to share information about job opportunities and to network. And now, 15 years later, we have approximately 100 members um, from many different jurisdictions, and they're in private practice, they're in-house, they're in academia, they're in um, non-legal positions as well. And as president, probably my most important role is to help shape ideas for special guest speakers at our monthly meetings and to find opportunities for people to contribute. Um, I view myself really more as a facilitator than as a, as a president, but it's, it's a great support network. And um, often members who repatriate or move to other cities say they wish there were similar organizations in those cities where they're now living because they found it to be such a, a terrific support network for them while they were in Japan. Where did these women come from? I mean, these are not just uh, from the United States. They're from They're not just the from the United States. There's probably... 40, 45% have U.S. qualifications, um, but they come from many countries within Europe, Australia, New Zealand, um, Singapore. We've had several Chinese um, lawyers join as members, too, while they've been working in Japan. And we also have um, Japanese uh, nationals who have gotten qualified overseas. Who's a typical speaker for your organization, and what's a typical topic? Um, it varies month to month. We had a symposium with 
the former foreign minister, Kawaguchi, um, not too long ago to talk about her career within the Japanese government and her prognosis for Japan going forward. Um, we had Gavin Anderson give a media workshop to help people understand um, what goes into a press conference and what to expect when there's a crisis and the reporters are on your doorstep uh, wanting to ask questions and how you can control the, the Q&A session to deliver the message you want to deliver. Um, we've had visiting college and law school professors talk about um, the recent Supreme Court nominations, um, the laws that have become uh, more and more prevalent as a result of the war on terrorism. Um, our speaker in September will be talking about strategies for employers um, under Japanese employment law, particularly facing dismissals and redundancies. And our next speaker after that will be talking about um, corporate social responsibility. We try to tap into people who are visiting Japan, either as um, visiting scholars or leaders within the business community and then leaders within the, the, the law firms and the Japanese universities. I just wanted to ask about, uh, Craig, Craig noted earlier, it's, it's 7 a.m. where he is. It's uh, 11 p.m. where you are. <laughs> I, I suspect this juggling of international time zones is not unusual for you. Uh, not at all. dealing on international <laughs> transactions. Mm-hmm. Uh, how, how does no. that work? <laughs> Do you, are you are you able to uh, uh, conduct business and, and 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 get yourself working on transactions with U.S. companies and 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 still maintain uh, some semblance of sanity in a personal life as well? I think for many of us that are here, we're here in part because we're cross-border junkies. There's a tremendous adrenaline rush that comes from working on cross-border transactions, and I think those who enjoy it really enjoy it. Um, so I think we're, we're very privileged to enjoy what we do. Um, the hours can, on occasion, be demanding, but when you're working on a transaction or a litigation or dispute resolution, whether you're in Tokyo or New York or San Francisco, I think the legal team is always committed to um, serving the, the clients, so the hours can be long even if you're just working um, domestically. So I think it's uh, building endurance skills over time and, and really enjoying and loving what you do um, and then taking advantage of downtime when you can. Other than the time frame issue, what other challenges do you face in practicing in, in uh, Japan? Hmm. I think the, the biggest challenge is that, that a day only has 24 hours. I'm very fortunate to be a member of, of Morrison Forster where we have a tremendous support network and a, a global community of resources to draw upon. So I never feel frustrated for lack of, of resources or teamwork to get things done. Um, but the opportunities are just ever-increasing, and there's the human limitation. And so that's probably the, the biggest frustration. What do you do when you're not working? I mean, have you been? Do you spend a lot of time traveling around the country, throughout uh, other countries in Asia, or or is it uh, you know uh, you stay tend to stay around Tokyo? There, there was a time when at least Japanese clients, I think, well, perhaps lawyers in, in general, traveled a lot more with video conferencing technology improving and teleconferencing technology. Um, I'm finding that I have more and more meetings that are done via teleconference uh, and negotiations via teleconference. Um, but 
so I don't travel as much for business as I did a number of years ago, but being located in, in Japan is, is great in terms of exploring the Asia-Pacific region, so try to travel in the region whenever possible. And there's a tremendous transit network within Japan, and so you can, an hour outside of Tokyo, be in a really beautiful environment, a very different environment, um, so whether you want to go to the ocean or to the mountains or to a historic town, it, it's all accessible. Um, so th- there's an endless um, list of, of things to do when, when time permits. Well, uh, as you noted, uh, there is hardly ever enough time for anything, and we're, we're running out of time for this segment of our program. But we would like to thank you very much for uh, taking the time uh, to uh, stay up late and talk with us. And if, if any of our listeners wanted to uh, get in touch with you or find out more about what you do, what's the best way for them to do that? They could drop me an email um, at jponoseki at mofo.com. Um, I'm always happy to answer questions about what it's like to be um, an international legal practitioner in Japan. And your bio is up on the mofo.com it's website on, as well, which I'm website. looking at right now. So mm-hmm. Okay. And your first name is J-A-Y, and your last name is P-O-N-A-Z-E-C-K-I, right? That's correct. And the email address is just the initial J, so J and then the last name. Well, thank you again. We really appreciate it. It's been been a pleasure to talk to you and very interesting. And, Bob, I guess for us that will wrap it up for Coast to Coast this week, and we will talk again next week. That's right. Good talking to you, Craig. Thanks for listening to Coast to Coast with Robert Ambrogi and J. Craig Williams. Coast to Coast has been sponsored by Law.com. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.